what I want to do today is uh, to remind ourselves, uh, you know, what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian. What are the privileges of being a Christian? Uh, and uh, what a better passage than Romans chapter 8. Because these days, uh, I personally believe that in pain and in, you know, in, uh, in your struggles, you find uh, a lot more from the word of God and you learn to appreciate him and treasure him a bit more than in times of joy and in times of, you know, everything goes easy. Uh, uh, so the norm, you know, it says by your wounds we are healed. So I do believe that there is healing and we know that it's an exception, it's not the norm in, while we are on this side of heaven. Because, uh, you know, but we know that we, are, we will be whole and we will be, we'll be confirmed or we'll have, we will, the image of his son will be imprinted on us. So that is clear and we will be whole once we are on the other side. But till then, the norm, the norm is suffering. But because in our suffering, as C.S. Lewis says, it is a megaphone of God. It, 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 it talks to us so intensely. It, 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 it pushes us to, to that utter dependence on God for all things. We come to learn to treasure Him. The problem with our time is this. They say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven, you will go to heaven, you will escape hellfire. You know, he be, has become a means to something and there is a whole bunch of Christians who think, you know, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can, you know, you can have all the wealth in the world, all the pleasures in the world, you know, it's called the prosperity gospel. You know, God is out there to make you happy. That's all what he, he is concerned. But let me tell you, the more I study the scriptures, God is not interested in making you happy. God is interested in his glory. And that includes your suffering. The suffering of his people. Because in, him, in the suffering of his people, his grace is manifested. He is glorified. Because ultimately he is concerned about himself. But today what we have done is we have tried in our foolishness, in the foolishness of our thinking, in the darkness and the vain thinking that we have developed over a period of time, is to think that we can use God as a means to some things. When we need to learn to treasure God for who he is. The psalmist talks of God as being my portion. We have been saved unto him. We have been saved for his glory. We have been called unto Jesus Christ. We are made part of the body of Jesus Christ. The church. We have, we have forgotten that. We have forgotten that. 
we have we have stopped we have fallen short of understanding what the gospel is god calls us to himself yes in him we have forgiveness of sins we have grace we have all of those things but above over and above all of those things what you have is the god of the universe and that's what we're going to say when you put your trust in jesus christ you have the god of the universe working on your behalf that's why paul shouts out and says in romans chapter 8 if god be for us basically he is saying god is for us but before we go there i want you to i want to take you through chapter 8 of romans and i owe this you know the insights and the understanding that god through his spirit has given to a lot of people to a lot of books to a lot of commentaries over the years listening to people so it is in a way i'm just trying to scratch the surface and just pass on some of the things which has meant so much to me so this is how it starts chapter 8 and verse 1 then there is therefore or a better way to put it is now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus no condemnation that is a judicial statement you are no longer strangers to god or estranged from god you are no longer lost you are no longer under the divine omnipotent wrath of god there is no condemnation you can be sure of it there is no condemnation nobody if you go down to the chapter it says who is it that condemns you for it is god who justifies it is god who justifies no condemnation absolute assurance to the christian no condemnation you are no longer lost you are no longer a stranger to god you are no longer the enemy of god you have become a friend of god you belong to him god is for you and emmanuel in its fullness is god is with us no condemnation and at the same time you are you know you are in him you know so there is a judicial judicial standing but that judicial standing the, the 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 flip side of it is you are participating in the very life of Christ that is why it says now therefore there is no condemnation for who for those who are in Christ Jesus and how did this happen and we see in verse 2 i'm not going to read all the verses it says that maybe i should read it's always nice to read the god's word for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death so it talks of the spirit or the holy spirit as the spirit of life which has set you free now how is the spirit able to set you free from the law of sin and death it is verse 3 it says for god has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by how by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit 
So what we are, what we just read is that the Holy Spirit has set us free. How can he do it? Because of what God did in his son. It's very interesting. It says, what does it say about the son? It says that uh, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You know what it means in the likeness of sinful flesh? It means he is like you and me. Except for sin. That's why the expression is in the likeness of human flesh. He is like you and me in everything except for one thing. For sin. And what did God do? There is this story that is told, uh, you know, of, not a story, it's actually what happened. Uh, this is, uh, you know, let me, uh, yeah. And I find it very jarring when I first uh, read it. I found it really hard to grasp because it stretched my thinking, you know, to a point where I say, God, how, you know, I can't bring myself to think in those terms. But that is exactly what it says. So this person works among prisoners. And uh, on a Monty Thursday, Good Friday service, uh, there was this question, who killed Jesus? And uh, so these uh, prisoners, right? Wise, wise guys, they gave different answer. And one of the wise guys said, you know, we killed him. And that's where I would go. I would say, my sins put him on the cross. Right? But listen to this verse. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stands condemned in my place. You know what this brother told the prisoners? The father killed him. I cannot wrap my head around it. But the fact of the matter is that my sin and your sin was condemned in the Son. Is that a little too jarring for you to agree? That the Father, the sentence that should have fallen on us, was put on his son. We who needed to be condemned, in our place condemned, he stood as the hymn writer says. Can you, can you even imagine that? I cannot bring myself to the point of saying, God the Father killed him. But there is that truth which I cannot ignore that where I should have been condemned God the Father condemns the Son on my behalf. And that is how the Holy Spirit is able to set us free from the Spirit, the law of death and sin, you know, and bring us into His marvelous light, into His kingdom, and make us sons and daughters of the King. I don't understand that. Oftentimes, we don't get the gravity because we are scared to go push and think of what God did for us in His Son. In our place, 
condemned his third. Without the father allowing that, that would have never happened. God is absolutely sovereign. And if he allowed his son to be condemned on our behalf, that is the argument of Paul towards the end of chapter 8. If he gave us a son, what is it that he will not give along with him? He is the gift in which all other gifts are wrapped in one. Let me go on. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And there is a string and left, you know, it, when we talk about the flesh, it talks about to set our mind on the flesh is death. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law because it simply cannot please God. It doesn't have the capacity to do it. It's not only that, our bend is towards evil and we are so thoroughly in the grip of sin without the work of the Spirit in our life. You know what is the mark of living in the flesh is? Basically, Romans chapter 8 is very clear that those who are in the flesh, those who live by the flesh, do not belong to God. Period. You read it. Those who belong, those who live by the flesh, do not belong to God. So people have looked at it from different points of view. But I want to, I am inclined to believe that it is not true of Christians. We don't live by the Spirit. Or let, we don't live by the flesh. You know, we don't live the way the world lives, which is hostile to God. That's what it means. Because the Spirit of God doesn't allow us to go that far. But the mark of the person who lives according to the flesh, if there is one thing, you know what it is? Self-gratification. That person lives for oneself. You know, I've been often told that I, I preach these things so easily by people who are dear to me, and you don't seem to live that. And I have to agree with that. But as a preacher, can I preach something which will suit me? Which will justify the thing, the way I live my life? No. As a preacher, if I don't preach the word as it is, I stand condemned. So though I don't measure up to what I often say, let me tell you, by God's grace I strive to do that. But I fail. But I find great comfort in the God who keeps me going and says, it's okay, Jason. You'll reach there. And that is the comfort of chapter 8. You'll reach there. You will learn to love me. You will learn to love my people. You will learn to love what you're doing on my behalf. You will learn to love to worship me. You will learn to love me beyond all things. You will learn that. You will come to that. I assure you, as Philippians says, he has begun a good work in you, we'll see it to completion. 
It is with that confidence I stand here. I don't say these things because I have arrived or I have achieved. I stand here in the confidence that I have a God who has started something good in me and in you and he will see it to completion. But we are going to look at that a little bit because we need to be careful. Verse 9 it says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Come to verses 12 and 13. So then brothers, sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, what? You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, if you go through this verses, go home, take time to read it. But I'll just leave some thoughts with you. What it says is, you know, our once and for all death to the law, that is first seven chapters of Romans, chapters five on to chapter end of chapter eight. It talks about how we have died to the law. You know, it could be mosaic law, it could be the law of that time, whatever it is. I'm not going into that. But we have died to that law. But that doesn't mean in any way that we should not try everything to to maintain the law that is the law of Christ in the sense of loving God and loving our neighbors because that sums up everything. So basically, like Murray, one of the Puritan fathers have said, the believer's once and for all death to the law does not free him from the necessity of mortifying sin. What it means is, mortifying sin, it simply means that you are responsible to do everything in the power and grace God has given through the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of sin. It is not that you know, you, you know, we often hear there are two extremes about this. One is, I have to do it. That's legalism. So you have a set of rules. I should read my Bible in the morning. I should be praying five times a day or whatever it is. That's legalism on one side. If I do these things, I'm a good Christian. There is another other group of people. You know what it is? And I tend to lean on that side. So I need the balance. My thing is, let go. Let God. Have you heard that phrase? Let go, let God. Just surrender yourself to him. Let go, let God. But what Paul is saying here is, no. No. There is something which God has made possible in your life. It is outside of you. It is not something in you, but God through his spirit has started something in you. He has given you his spirit So you can say no to sin. So you are responsible for mortifying sin in your body. You are responsible to say yes to what God is doing in your life. 
What is God doing in your life? He is trying to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And what is your role? It's an active role where you say yes to God. He who has started a good work in us will see it to completion. How does he do it? He does it when we say consciously and actively, yes, Lord, here am I, work through me, and I'm going to rely on his spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And in so doing, I become, you know, I become all that you want me to be. So there is God who does it, who, it is all because of God. He is the one who has started a good work in you. He is the one who has given you that desire. He is the one who enables you to will and to do good. He is the one who does all of those things. And at the same time, he tells you, I have given you my Holy Spirit. You have no excuse anymore to say no to sin. I want you to say yes to what I'm doing so that you will become more like my son. And in so becoming, I get all the glory. See, we often go either to the left or to the right. It is not your doing. At the same time, it is not just letting go and letting God. It is a partnership. We are co-workers with Christ. He wants us to be actively involved in our sanctification. But let me, like one of the saints have said, the Christian imperative demands the Christian's continuing S to an activity which does not originate in oneself, but which is nevertheless already real and actual in the core of one's being. I hope I've been able to explain that to some extent. But there is something more, and that is something which I would like to emphasize of the many things I want to talk this morning. <clears throat> One of the things that has caught my attention these days is, you know, I've often been told that I have a martyr complex. And I've always struggled with that. I've always believed that Christians will suffer. And some people think I go looking for suffering. But when I look at the scriptures, I don't know any other way. I will suffer if I give uh, money to the people who don't have money. I will suffer if I open my house to people who don't have homes. Because it's going to be inconvenient for me. I will suffer when I say I only need one shoe and I'm going to buy a few pair of shoes which I bought for myself so that I can give it to others. I am going to suffer. It's going to be suffering if I don't drink my Tim Hortons coffee because I'm going to put that money in a jar and I'm going to send it to someone who desperately needs that money to have one square meal a day. I am not going to buy branded shirts and you know, suits and boots because I have one or two that's enough for me. I am going to spend all the rest of my money, which legitimately is mine, and I can spend. There is nothing wrong in it. Go ahead, do it. But can I do that in the light of the fact that Jesus, you know, who owns the universe, became poor for our sake so that we may become rich? 
I am not looking for suffering. But if I choose to be a Christian, I will suffer. If I choose to be a Christian, I will suffer. The time is come for us to seriously look into our lives and ask the hard questions that needs to be asked. God, do I have the right to enjoy? We say we pray for the persecuted church. We say many, many things, but is it, does it translate into deeds? Or have I become a hypocrite? Our eyes fills with tears when we hear missionary stories. But what do we do about these missionaries when they are nowhere to be seen and heard? Now these are the things which bothers me. And this has been bothering me for a long time. But you know what it says here? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It simply states, if you don't suffer, you will not be glorified. Tell me it reads otherwise. Tell me it reads otherwise. I have looked for a different reading. But the reading is very clear. If you don't suffer, you will not be glorified. Read the whole chapter, whole of chapter 8 and tell me otherwise. 16 and 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. If we suffer with him, that is a condition in, that, in order that, why? That is the result of the condition is what? In order that we may be glorified with him. It's a very shocking way of saying you must suffer. It says that if you hear the call to suffer and reject it, you will not go to heaven. You will not be glorified. It's harsh, right? It basically says if you reject the call to suffer, you will not go to heaven. I'm not preaching heresy here. I'm preaching what the word says. Because Christ is glorified through his suffering. He suffered and died on that cross. And we see the risen, in the risen Christ, we see the glorified Christ. And that is, that is the glorious grace that is on display for all to see. I don't want to leave you there all, you know, all thinking, oh, am I going to be saved at all? Have I lost my salvation? Don't worry. Don't worry. God is much more gracious. God is, God is a loving God. There are two premises. One premise, if you read is, all the justified will be glorified. If you go on to read the whole chapter, all those who are justified will be glorified because he who began the good work will see it to completion. All those who have a right standing with God because they have put their trust in Jesus Christ will be glorified. And the premise number two is only those who suffer will be glorified. As we see here. 
how do we marry both of these things together? God Almighty will see that you come through your suffering like gold if you are justified. That is the conclusion. You know, the disciples in Jerusalem to begin with, maybe around 10,000 people by that time, they were very comfortable, they were very happy, there was a good bunch of people. And you know what happened? What did God do? He sent them a persecution. And what happened? When they started suffering, they all dispersed. Because God had told them, it starts in Jerusalem, but you don't stay in Jerusalem. It has to go to Judea, Samaria, and all the uttermost parts of the world. But they, they were very happy where they were. God had to send suffering. And what happened? What happened? The church grew. They couldn't stop talking about this wonderful God. They started treasuring this Jesus because in suffering, you have no one. All your, you know, all that you depend on is taken away. Believe me, Canada is coming to that place. Today I am preaching here with such freedom. Give it, I don't even know, give it another five years. It's going to be hard to preach the things that we preach today. And especially if it is recorded and put online. God will bring about a revival. God will glorify us. He will ensure that through our suffering, we will come out shining as gold. We can trust him to do that. But it is nice to be prepared. It is nice to say, God, if you are calling me to walk on this road, I am willing to do it. Will you give me the grace to do it? If you want, if you are heirs with him, and if you want to be glorified with him, you have to walk the Calvary's way. There is no other way that you will be glorified. There is no other way that you will see God or enjoy him forever. It is through the road of Calvary. Paul says, I have been crucified with him. And that's the only way to experience the life of Christ. Paul says that somehow, somehow, in sharing his suffering, in sharing his resurrection, somehow I may experience the power of the resurrected life. That is what Paul is saying. What does the Bible say? Whoever would be my disciple must deny himself or herself, take up his cross and follow me. That is all what Paul is saying. Whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. For 2 Timothy 3.12 If you are left without discipline, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8, what does it say? You are not legitimate children. If God doesn't discipline you, if he doesn't discipline me, I'm not, you know, we don't go disciplining our neighbor's children, do we? But because God loves us, he disciplines us. And then he goes on to say, who, you know, finishing the first missionary journey, Paul comes back doing discipleship in the church and the basic first inescapable thing he says in Acts 14 and verse 22 is this. Acts 14 and verse 22. Through many tribulations... 
you must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Not through, you know, the easy, enjoying. I am not against any of those things. As Christians, we should enjoy life. We should enjoy each other. But at the same time, if we lose focus of a world out there, if we lose the focus of our sisters and brothers and children suffering who are members of the family of God, and if our heart doesn't break for them, then there is something wrong. I am not against celebrations. I am not against enjoyment. I am not against enjoying each other. I am not against throwing parties. I am not against any of those things. I am not against you wearing beautiful clothes or wearing jewelry or whatever it is. I am not against any of those God has blessed you and in and through that, may he fulfill his purpose. But what, I, what really hurts me is that I too have become where so insensitive to those brothers and sisters of mine. Forget the dying world. But those brothers and sisters of mine for whom Jesus died, I don't even care to sense how they live and what is happening to them. I have words and I talk and I talk and I talk. But it doesn't materialize into anything which tells me that I am willing to suffer with you. We want God to suffer with us. But we don't want to suffer with God's people. Do we bring the comfort of Jesus Christ to the world which is hurting? Or are we too comfortable within ourselves? It is not in the programs we do. It is not in the, in, the, in, in the many things that we do. It is in the heart that we need to ask God on our bended knees. God, will you give me a heart which will break for the people? Will you help me to understand what it means to suffer for you? So that I may experience some of that glory which you talk about. Which I am assured that one of these days you will bring it to pass because of your grace. That is what my prayer is. A disciple is not about his teacher. If they call the teacher the, the master of the house, Belzezub, what will they call the members of his household? If Jesus was not spared the cross, do you think you will be spared the cross? But even as we go through these ups and downs in life, verse 18, let me just read it for you. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us, that is being revealed to us, or that is, will be revealed to us, however you want to read it. You know, basically what he is saying, the weight of that glory, the weight of the glory of the glorious Son, is nothing compared to our present suffering. That is, some, that is why some of the most beautiful hymns, that is why some of the greatest ministry have come from people who have suffered the most physically, mentally, and spiritually. At the end of the day, it is not about you and me. It is about God. It is about God. You know, what Paul is trying to say is, it is like, you know, I was trying to think of an illustration. It is like weighing an elephant on, you know, putting an elephant on one scale and a feather on one scale. 
you know, there is no comparison. This feather will just fly away under the one, means, you know, the elephant, once it stands on that scale, it just goes down. That's the weight of glory we are talking about. To that glory, how can we compare our suffering? Now, you tell that to a Western world. I do, I, I am a practitioner of psychology and I have taught psychology. You know what one of the fundamental rules of psychology in our world today is that? Don't minimize anybody's problems. Don't minimize anybody's issues. Don't say that, you know, God is bigger than your issue because that issue is so big for them. But let me tell you something. It is true. When you go through a toothache, that consumes your world. It is true. I have experienced it. I'm, I, I, I understand it. But you have to keep things in perspective. My problems, your suffering, my suffering is num nothing compared to the glory that has been revealed. You cannot compare it. Your financial reserve, means, you know, downturn, your, your, your issues at your work, your job, the, the anxiety of losing your job, the anxiety of tomorrow, all these are sufferings. And God acknowledges that. When a Christian suffers, you know, you, you, know, you share in the suffering of Christ. Let me tell you that. But compared to the glory that has been revealed, that compared to the glory that is to be revealed, it's nothing. You know, we, I may live 80 years or 90 years. You may live 100, I hope. But that is like, like this. For this momentary. You know, that is what my youngest brother used to say. For this fleeting, momentary affliction. It's nothing. It will just go. It will just go. He clung on to this verse. He always used to read, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. It rather sounds harsh to a Western ear, you know, because we are so sensitive about everything. It is not to minimize anybody's problem. It is not to minimize anybody's suffering. But it is to comfort us that even as we go through, there is light at the end of the tunnel if we look to Jesus. But if your problems and issues consumes you and it is all what you can see, then that has become your God. It is not going to help you. It will take you down. That is why we have rise in euthanasia. People are fighting. I just, you know, they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Let me end my life. There is the second highest death rate. It means the cause of death among youth today is suicide after accidents. And it has remained like that for a long time. I was talking to a friend yesterday and he was saying his son was so, so shaken that this 22-year-old girl committed suicide. And all what she said is, he, he came to his parents and he told his parents, you know what, Dad? We are a group of people who think life has no meaning. And she went ahead and took a life. And he was so rattled that they had to call a psychologist so that who could sit with him and talk to him. Because he also feels that there is no meaning to life. What is there in life? Why should I live? For whom and what is the purpose and meaning of my life? And then it goes on to say many things. But I want to, we have already come to a close. But I want to, I, I, I want to, you know, there is many, many comforting things in chapter 8. Go home and read. You know, one of the things I want to comfort you is that we often say, am I praying in the will of God? You and I will never be able to pray 
absolutely in the will of God. Let me tell you that. But there is someone who prays for us in the perfect will of God. And so we don't have to despair. We don't know how to pray. But who is it that who prays for us? You know, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He understands the mind of God because he is God. And he understands us absolutely and completely. He knows what we need. Sometimes we pray for things we shouldn't be praying, but the Spirit, you know, he takes it, he moves it on the side, and he says, no, this is not what he should be praying for. I'm going to intercede for him. He negates that and he prays. What aligns with the will of the Father. That is what it says here. You know what a comfort that is. To know even when I don't know how to pray and even when I pray for the wrong things in my life, you know what happens? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God ensures that I, my prayers will be in the perfect will of God. And whatever is asked in, in, in line with the perfect will of God will be answered. I can be assured of that. We don't have to beat ourselves to death, you know, saying, is this the perfect will of God? Is this the perfect will of God? That's why I often say, do it in good faith, good conscience before God and man. If you are able to say that, go ahead and do it. Because we have a merciful God who has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who will pray for us in keeping with his will. We can be sure of that. You don't have to beat yourself to death with that. You don't have to be despaired. You can take comfort in the fact that we will suffer, but we will come out shining as gold. Because those who are justified, he will glorify. But you and I will suffer because suffering you know, through suffering, it builds our character. Character builds hope. You go read your scriptures. It is, it is not bad for us that God allows us to suffer. But let me close with something, something, something more. Let me close with something wonderful and amazing. You know, this is what it says. What then shall we say, verse 31? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Basically, it's saying God is for us. He's working for us. Can you imagine that? He's working for Jason. This low life, he's working for me. He's working for me. Even when everybody says you are useless, you are no good, you are a low life who doesn't even know what, you know, what the things of life are, I hear that often every day. I hear that, hear myself saying to, that, to myself, Jason, you can't even be a Christian. But you know what? The greatest comfort that I have? God is on my side. I'm not an American. You know, Americans think that God is on their side all the time. Whatever they do. But uh, with no offense to Americans, at least they acknowledge that. You know, in God we trust. But I can be sure of one thing. God is working on my behalf. God is working on our behalf. If you have put your trust in him, he is working on your behalf. Whatever your situation in life, however you look at your own self, 
you may be looking at your own self and saying i don't even meet the standards of what it means to be a simple normal christian don't worry god is working on your behalf if god be for us and then he goes on to say many things that i have mentioned we know that christ has been raised from the dead will never die and then he goes on to say you know uh, sorry i missed the page and then he goes on to say many things who shall bring any charge we looked at that and who you know he is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation distress persecution famine nakedness danger sword who can separate us from the love of god it's very interesting i just want to interject something so that you go home and think who can separate us the list of things that is mentioned here is all outside of us so some people have said that we may be able to say no to him you know because all of these things what you read is outside of us but i am of the firm conviction nothing what you do or you don't do or anything in the world anything 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 can separate us from the love of god that's the comfort of a christian that is the comfort of a christian god is on our side we can be sure of it victory is ours you know why i say that as it is written for your sake we have been killed all day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered paul is saying it's the experience of the christian we suffer day in and day out but this is what i want to leave you with this morning what is it know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us you know what it means what it means to be more than conquerors i have always tried to see what it means to be more than conquerors i have heard plenty of plenty of people talking about this thing and i have never been satisfied till i listened to means i read something with john piper had written you know what it means it is not just that death is beaten what is that verse which says oh death and uh, what is that grave and grave where is thy victory right it is not just that death is beaten okay that you conquered right you conquered death because jesus rose again he conquered death but there is something it says we are more than conquerors what does it mean see the romans you know i'm just trying to expand on that idea which piper brings home is the idea that it is not only they would conquer the romans not only would conquer a city but would put that city to work for them they would take the citizens and make citizens work for rome so what has happened to us is in christ we have not only conquered death but now death is become our servant and it is working for our purposes that is what death is become it is not just that we conquered death but now death is our slave it is our servant it is fulfilling the purposes that god has for us that is why we are more than conquerors today through the doorway of death we enter into the glorious kingdom of our god you see that is what it means to be more than conquerors death is our slave it is our servant it doesn't hold us terror anymore death is welcomed because it serves the purposes of our almighty god who is working for us and he uses this death 
to usher us into his very presence. It fulfills his purposes for our life. So death has no longer any bite. That is what it means. It has no bite. It has no teeth. It is not scary for a Christian. The process of dying may be scary, but death itself has no bite. And that is why Paul is saying, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it goes on to say many things. And this is how he ends. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Having said that, let me stop. We started with no condemnation and we end with no separation. We started with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus to no separation because God is for us. He is truly become our Emmanuel, God with us as a community of his people. He is not only in us, but he is also among us. That is what the first Corinthians and second Corinthians talk about. We are the temple of God individually, as well as we are the temple of God as a community of God's people. We are no longer, we are no longer under condemnation because of what Jesus has done on the cross, what God did in his son. He stood condemned in our place. Therefore, we are free people. Even as we go through life, we are going to face suffering because that is the road for glorification. But even as we go through suffering, you and I need not be scared or worried what will be the outcome because we can be assured of this one thing. We will come out like gold at the end of the day. And having said that, you don't have to worry about how should I pray, how should I... The Spirit is there, the ever, ever unceasing ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life which helps us to be aligned to what God wants for our lives. And at the end of it, Paul says, you are more than conquerors. Today, the things which used to frighten us and above all death, which was such a frightful thing, today is not only conquered, it has become our servant. It, it serves our purposes. It serves the purposes of our God in, in helping us and ushering us into a new and glorious life which we await. That is the hope of a Christian. That is our assurance. That is why some of us, some of the, some of the people who love Romans says, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most beautiful, beautiful chapters in the whole of scriptures.